Podcast episode 229. I'm your host, John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I connect with an old friend, Dax Hunter Jordan. And man, what a beautiful soul Dax is. And I'm so thrilled that it's been like 20 years since we've gotten to talk. And when we sat down, I go, you know what? I should really plan to go long here because based on my interactions with Dax online, he's got opinions about pretty much everything. And everything that he does and everything that he says is connected to this higher purpose. It's about human connection, connection to nature, and that which binds us all together. And we talk about that at length here. And sort of the through line, you know, I ask him about his journey after high school, going out to California, getting his degree in environmental science, his career in music, and the crazy stories along the way are all sort of geared toward this overall larger purpose. And it's funny because I started this show, one, because I'm endlessly curious about people and I love asking people questions about themselves. But what I found in doing it is that if you ask people the right questions, you unlock their humanity. I don't know that we spend enough time with each other connecting in a real way. So much of it is superficial and facile and shallow. And I think we're all looking for deeper connection, which is why podcasting as a medium is one that I adore so deeply. I think about the hour that I spend with each of my guests and the sort of directed, structured conversations that we have. Now, granted, it's not super structured. You know, I'm not going into this with a hard agenda. I have some general ideas of what I want to talk about, but I let people be the guide. I let my guests be the guide for each conversation that we have. And it's a give and take. And when you do that, you deepen your humanity. And if we're not doing that, then why are any of us even here? Now, that's not to say this entire conversation is just pie in the sky. We talk about some great stuff here. You know, you get some insight into what it's like to be a practicing musician, why drummers are maybe disrespected. You get a handful of tales from the road, the different types of bands that Dax has been in, from goth rock to glam rock to jam band stuff to ska to punk. It's a fun journey filled with some laughs, filled with some insights, and just a wild story of Dax doing mushrooms in the sand dunes. That alone is worth the price of admission here. Now, granted, I don't charge anything, so you're getting real good value there. But secondly, I love doing this show because I spend a lot of my day dealing with sort of business types. You know, that's my work. My company is Deft Communications. You can check that out on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. That is the company that produces this show. I also produce shows for other organizations. So if you work with an organization that's interested in telling its story or conveying what it does in an unusual way, podcasting is an amazing way of doing that. And it doesn't even have to be for general consumption. If you're looking to target it towards your clients or your customers or an audience that needs to know in greater depth about what you do, you should hit me up. But I don't pick shows based on a strict business criteria. That would be far too limiting. I love having conversations like the one I had with Dax. And that's why I love being John of all trades. We can talk business. We can talk life philosophy. Hell, we could just hang out 
and bullshit with each other for an hour. And I think there's value in all of that because the more that we learn about each other, the better off we're all going to be. So this show is just a beautiful encapsulation of that with someone that I am immensely grateful to have reconnected with. Because as I say in this show, I've known Dak since I was 12. And I had no idea what he was up to in the time between high school and when we just recently reconnected at Old 121 Brewhouse, where he played an acoustic set and it was absolutely delightful. He's a talented musician. He's got art just coming out of him. And he's a beautiful soul. So you know what? In the interest of not sullying that too much, I'll do plugs on the back end. I'm not going to plug anything else. You can find links to all of Dax's work on the John of All Trades companion blog piece. That's johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. But right now, let's get to this conversation because we go long here. I'm okay with that. I knew that going in, and I think you're going to enjoy this thoroughly. Episode 229 is Dax Hunter Jordan. He's a musician. He's a producer. He's a music teacher. And he's brimming with fascinating insights. Episode 229 starts right now. Paul Krell's Bar Mitzvah. Okay. Do you remember that? We were down at the Broadmoor in Colorado Springs. Oh my gosh, I vaguely do. Yeah, and so you and I were next to each other, sitting, like, we were just watching it unfold and stuff, and we were rolling up our ties <laughs> and tucking them under our chin. And just like, we're so bored during this bar mitzvah <laughs> that we're like, I want a tie with lots of parrots and palm trees and stuff. And you'd let it unroll from underneath your, uh, <laughs> underneath your chin and be like, yay. And I'd do the same thing. And then we rented a paddle boat and we were, it was like, that was fun. And I'm like, that is one of my strongest memories of Dax. How weird is that? that that's cool. Cause I, I love hearing stories about me because for some reason or another, and it could potentially be, the lifetime use of daily cannabis, but ah. my my memories of of high school are really really blurry. Well, dude, and this is even further back. Yeah. So like this, yeah, this is even before, this is middle school. Yeah, no. So this would have been shortly after sixth grade got out, before we all went to Bell, and uh, I think you were still playing little league and stuff at that point. Yes. <laughs> Wild times, man. Yeah, man. Um, it's too bad that we couldn't have kept in touch since then. But I, the reason that. We haven't kept in touch is, uh, I, I moved out to Los Angeles, like, okay. directly after high school. I got, I got accepted to University of Redlands outside of LA. Nice. And then just stayed out there, you know, basically until 2011. Wow. So it kind of, it, it unfortunately disconnected me from, from the whole, like, the entire high school crew that we had. Well, yeah, but, uh, I remember Connor going out to see you a couple of times and, mm -hmm. like, you know, a handful of folks that we were in the same orbit with. Yeah. But, uh, like, yeah, that's pretty much it. So I'd like, I'd hear stories, but like, that was the extent of it, you know? Like, what pushed you out there? It was, okay, so it was being in, being in a band in high school, specifically a punk rock band. Yeah. And like, knowing that punk rock was created in Southern California. Oh, totally, yeah. And then also, um, having such a love for skateboarding and knowing that skateboarding was also created basically in Southern California. Yeah, I remember seeing you guys. You're not talking about Ship Shape, are you? Yeah. You are? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because uh, I think of you guys as a ska band. Yeah, but, we were, I mean, we call ourselves ska punk. Totally, yeah. You know, and there was, there was kind of a, it was the, the line was blurred at that point in time in the 90s of. Yeah, third wave ska, like ska core. Yeah. That was my scene. Less than too, Jake man. is less than Jake. 
a ska band or are they a punk band? Oh, good point, dude. I had Vinny Fiorello on this show at one point, like oh, the drummer oh. from Listen to No way. You should listen to that one. That's a good one. They're still together, right? Yeah, totally. Vinny just left. He's not touring with them anymore, but he's still like writing songs and stuff with them. Oh, awesome. But uh, yeah, no, I caught him out in Grand Junction and he was good enough to sit down with me on the last day of the tour. <laughs> so everyone was just wrecked. But <laughs> you guys were... So I count my first like big national touring show as uh, Mustard Plug and the Mad Caddies, mm-hmm. but I saw you guys a bunch of times, mostly with kid like with kids like these. Yeah, that's right. So, we did play with them a lot. Who sounded a lot like the Aquabats? That was one of our big influences as well. <laughs> well, I mean, who if you're in a ska band in the '90s, right? <laughs> yeah, and they're still around too. I mean, I guess ska's making it come back. It's kind of an embarrassing genre. I, I mean, <laughs> to, to really be into. <laughs> <laughs> and I still love it. I don't care, man. Like, You're good. I'm old enough to where I stopped giving a shit long ago. I'm at that point now, too. But, uh, you know, you like what you like. And I, there's a genre of things that I call too stupid to exist. And ska is almost one of those things, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like, you know what? Let's bring some marching band kids in to our punk band. Yeah. And let's see if we can all make some magic together, right? Totally. <laughs> So it probably goes without saying, those of you listening to this know this is Dax Jordan, and we've been friends for a long time. Dax Hunter Jordan. Sure, yeah. I mean, however you want to go by. Yeah. And we recently reconnected at Old 121 Brew House for Never Forget Tony Sly Night. Yeah. Which, I want to get this right out front. The arrangement you did of Linoleum by No Effects I thought was gorgeous. Thank you so much. Yeah. I wanted to kind of add some of my info. I wanted to, you know, reinvent the song. With uh, my own influences, and I was really, I was really stoked to to get um, such good feedback on the reworkings of those No Effects songs. Because for for whatever reason, No Effects was such a huge part of our lives in high school for yeah. all of us. For sure, yeah, Punk and Drublick, and So Long and Thanks for the Shoes, and like, oh my God. you know, I heard they suck live. You know, I still listen to those albums, you know, <laughs> at least a couple times a month to this day. So totally, it's, some, it's kind of like. They, uh, it's timeless. It's uh, the classics. And, uh, that night, that night was really awesome to reconnect with you. I wasn't too big into no use for a name, but I still, they were, they were still on the radar, yeah. you know, when we were. Well, it's funny. I got it right case. here. Like, yep. so no, I was always, uh, no use for a name guy. I saw them with the caddies too once, uh, like in high school and they, they just melted everyone's face. Yeah, they're incredible. But, um, you're still in music today, yeah, which is awesome. You mentioned going out to Southern California, like for college, mm-hmm. um, but because of music, what ultimately, like, when did you start playing an instrument and like, what got you into it? I got, um, first I got a guitar, um, electric guitar when I was 12 in, in middle school. And you remember CJ Latham oh, of course. and Eric Wilson, Aaron Wilson, Aaron Wilson, excuse me. Yeah. Aaron Wilson. I was in a band with them first playing guitar. And, and Aaron Wilson's dad was, was just a wild child. He, he was a heavy drinker and, uh, he smoked. He never, he never like condoned it with us, but he never, you know, like, he never, he did much to prevent it, prohibited it. And so he had this amazing studio way up in Coal Creek and we would just go up there and spend the weekend up there after school. And, um, I'm pretty sure we did sneak a toke once in a while, you know, out in the forest. Sure. And then we would, and he would come and produce our albums and, um, Aaron was on drums. And, um, I just, his dad was also a drummer and I was playing guitar at the time, but I was so pulled to the drums and so fascinated by the drums. I would just see these things and I would be, they were just, they looked like spaceships, like with the circular cymbals and yeah. and the circular toms and the drums. And it just looked like this otherworldly, uh, 
machine, this device, this, that could transport you. And I, I just wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't, maybe I wasn't smart enough or I wasn't. Sorry, buddy. I don't mean to play to, footsie with you there. Oh, we can play footsie. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't smart enough to really understand music theory at the time. So, um, um, it, it, it slowly turned out that I was, I was meant to be more of a drummer and, um, I sold my guitar to Travis Emblad. <laughs> no kidding. And, Cause he was, he was great. He was also in the band too. And he was like the second guitarist and CJ was the bassist and, um, sold it to him and then got a drum set shortly thereafter at 13 okay. practiced for two years and then, sh- and then slowly ship shape kind of formed. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, that's a, that's a remarkable story. Cause when I saw you at old One Twenty One, you were playing the guitar. So, I mean, how many instruments do you, I wouldn't call it mastery, but how many? No, yeah, I, I would say I could, I could confidently say that I, I mean, I'll never say I've mastered the drums, but I, I could confidently say I'm a professional drummer. Yeah. That's like my trade. That's what people pay me to do. Um, that's what like the vast majority of my catalog is based on. But I also play guitar, uh, acoustic guitar, not electric. I wish I could be like a rock star electric guitarist. <laughs> so badass. Um, bass and keyboards and sing. And I kind of just as, as, as like a, the perspective of a producer, you have to kind of be able to do all of that. And sure. you have to, you have to understand song structure and, and arrangement. And, um, it really helps if you can play all the instruments when you're writing songs and when you're producing songs. So I've been playing acoustic guitar now just since 2012 and been playing, you know, you know, keyboards and messing around with the bass or since around then too. Okay. Wow. So you're, you find yourself in Southern California. Take me through kind of your musical journey there, you know, and how many sure. different bands have you played in? Because, I, you know, I've stalked your Facebook profile a few times back when you were going by a different name, too. It took me forever to find you. Nice. <laughs> yeah. But I did, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some show posters and things like that, but take me through a little bit of the journey. So when you were trying to find me and you finally did, it was under Hunter Flyingwood. That's right. And that's my drummer's <laughs> stage name, which also can dub as a porn name, even though I've never done porn. Um, <laughs> it's a good porn name. <laughs> fly your wood around either when you're on the stage or off the stage. And, uh, so it, it really began, um, it really began with my first band, um, out of college. Um, after I graduated, I was, I moved to Huntington Beach with. What'd you graduate with? I graduated, um, with a degree in environmental science. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, uh, that was not what I was expecting you to say. No. And the reason I, I started to do music at my college, but the music program was like all like, like it had a band nerd or, uh, a, a, like a, just like a band camp vibe. Okay. Um, and so it just was a really nerdy music program and it, it didn't sit well with me. And then I got kind of coerced from, I, I think, you know, family and society that, Hey, you need a backup career. Yeah. You need like a backup plan. You need like a quote unquote real job. You need a real right. job. And so I didn't know what to do, but I've, I've always loved science, all forms of it. And so environmental science is just the combination of a lot of biology, a lot of chemistry, a little bit of physics, mm-hmm. um, hydrology, geology atmospheric science and stuff like that. So it it really was really fun to study. And I I ended up working a few jobs out of college as well in Huntington beach. I was, uh, my first job out of college with, with that degree. Um, I was an environmental scientist working for a company called Geosyntec that did, uh, remediated like uh, wetlands that were, that had been bought by oil companies to drill. And then they, they, um, extracted all the oil and then they left just a gigantic mess. Right. And so my company, it was great. I got to, I just got to work out in the wetlands, like right on the coast. Nice. Helping clean up, you know, 
the the areas and um well and i know environmental regulations now especially in colorado the the sites have to be returned to their original state and and a lot of it out here is uh, like on farmland so Mm -hmm. but you have to get like the grass seed mix correct and like return it to its you know uh, native flora exactly that's what we were doing it was it was it was getting the soil back to the right ph and getting all the petroleum and all the contaminants out of the soil and so it was a lot of um, soil testing, a lot of water sample testing, um, and a lot of ecology. So that was great. And, you know, like being the big stoner that I always am, like I had my own work truck and, you know, I would just smoke a bowl and put on my GPS pack and just walk around the wetlands and take samples and stuff wow. like that. And it even got to... I'm to, assuming they didn't know that. No, they didn't know that. <laughs> um, and you're not going back, presumably, so we can let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> And, uh, and and so it allowed me to. Um, I was off by you know I was off by four or five, and I was able to then work on music at night. So um, the roommate that I had all through college that I lived with in Huntington Beach, we started a band called the Deadly Dose, mm. and we were like a we were like a gothic rock band, like not scary gothic, but um, romantic kind of gothic. Okay. And um, we had we recorded an album, and we had some pretty pretty interesting little periods of of semi-success that we that we got to enjoy we got to open for um la guns and nice guns and roses minus axel it was before they started playing together again and this was in 2007 and so we got to play the sunset strip a lot in that band so this was after guns and Ro- or the the other guys from guns and roses were done with velvet revolver too then. yeah and and it was just a reunion night it was it was all wild okay and we all just they they all met it and it was kind of unannounced it was only supposed to be Slash wasn't supposed to be there, but he showed up. It was just supposed to be Duff and um, Izzy. There, and uh, Izzy wasn't there actually either. Okay. Duff and the original drummer. So I gotcha. guess it was only three out of five of the guys at yeah. Guns N' Roses and L.A. Guns. Yeah, so we got to play that. And then we also got to open and go on tour with one of our favorite bands, uh, the 69 Eyes. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. Have you ever heard of the band Him before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're they're like Finnish rock. They're like, they're, they're like Him. They're like from the 90s. From Finland, gotcha. Really, really cool sound. And I know him through like Bam Margera. Exactly. Watching him, like yeah. that's I, he introduced him to a lot of people. Well, if any listeners out there like him, you sh- they should check out the Sixty Nine Eyes because it's it's very totally. very similar style. Got it. Nice. All right. So you're touring around. You're finding some success. Are you still doing the day job at this point? I just, you know, I just uh, got fired from. Um, <laughs> From a really, really amazing CBD job. Oh, okay. That that I that I had for you know almost a year. No, I'm talking about back then. Like, oh, okay. No, like when when you are, you know, um, when you're doing your sort of gothic <laughs> band. Yeah. Were you still doing the day was, job then? I was still doing the day job then as well. Yeah, I was still doing environmental science. You know, I I ended up getting fired from that job as well, uh, and it's a really funny story. The reason I got fired from that from that awesome job was I took the, I took the scope of restoration of the wetlands too far beyond Mm. the, beyond the, 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 the budget and the plan for the project. Meaning I was finding, I was personally finding contamination way lower down into the groundwater and and down into the, the different layers of sediment. That they were willing to acknowledge even like it was almost ah. like corruption with inside the environmental science company because they wanted the project to be over and there was still contamination that was going all the way in because there were houses bordering there were these houses bordering the wetlands mm-hmm. and there was contamination clear into the 
into the residential neighborhoods. And so I put this in my reports, and they basically told me to stand down. Ah. And there was like a moral compass in me that had a problem with that. Right. And so I got, so I ended up getting fired from that job, but then it was kind of, it was kind of a blessing because then I went on to become an independent contractor writing phase one reports. They're environmental assessments that almost every corporation or every company has to have if they sell their, their business or their land. Mm-hmm. Depending on what the company did, you have to have a, an environmental assessment done. Yeah. Um, to make sure that like you weren't using it for like storing toxic chemicals or right. underground storage tanks of, of various natures. I got to basically get a thousand bucks a report to, um, to drive around Southern California and just like assess a business and fill in the blanks on a template, right. take some pictures and then uh, do some historical records on what the property is used for. So I became, I became a phase one environmental contractor right after that. And, <laughs> and that was great for like two years. Dude, that's amazing. And I know a little bit about that. I'm not going to go into much detail here, but I was, I was doing a communications project and there was a business. It was a dry cleaner. Exactly. Like not disposing of the dry cleaning fluid properly. Yep. So I got to learn all about dry cleaning fluid. Most of that's m- pretty much harmless mm-hmm. uh, unless you're breathing it in, you know, 10 hours a day for 60 years or whatever. Yeah. But they were just sort of leaking it into the parking lot. Isn't that crazy? And, and you go, how? Like why? You know, and, and yeah. there's like homes bordering it. And, you know, mostly in Denver, thankfully, we're getting our water from, like, the Dillon Reservoir. Oh, nice. Like, it's all piped in. You know, most people are not tapping into their groundwater aquifer. Yeah. But even if that's the case, like, dude, come on. Like, that that's, that, that's no way to run a railroad here. It, it, so. it boggles my mind um, how, how much, how much um, subtle disrespect people, like uh, the majority of, I mean, I don't want to say the majority of Americans, but just people in the world have for nature. Right. I mean, nature is our temple. It's, it's what created us. And without it, you know, we're going to, we're going to fall with it if it goes, you know? Yeah. It's so funny, dude, because we've been friends online now for a few years Mm -hmm. and you've got a fascinating view and approach to the world. Thank you. And and I, and I, (laughs) and I'm, I'm glad you took that as a compliment because I intend it to be so. And, it, it's interesting to me because I know you primarily as a musician and then whatever I remember from us as kids, you know, and like, uh, you started a club in sixth grade called Yoyce. And, uh, <laughs> tell me more about that. <laughs> See, I don't remember that. Uh, I don't even, it, it, I, oh my God. Like we won't, we won't spend a ton of time on that. No, but yeah. But, uh, so like that's my memory of you. So to find out you have this degree in environmental science, you're doing environmental restoration. Mm-hmm. Doing phase one reports. I never knew any of that. Yeah. Right. That's cool. And, and so like, that's one of the reasons I love this show so much is because everyone has way more layers than you would ever, ever know. Yeah. I think you, your, your, your concept and your vision and then your foundation for this podcast is amazing because I mean, most podcasts just, they just get right into the politics. Yeah. And they just get right into the current events and, and you really, you really get to um, let people let people kind of um, out of their of their cage. That you ask the questions that you know maybe people are dying to be asked, maybe they're not, but they're they're j- typically not asked. Right. And so and it's it's just a really really cool thing that you have got going here. Well, too. thanks, man. That means a lot to me. I I'm just endlessly fascinated by people. 
And if you ask them the right questions, people will reveal themselves to you and you will have so much more empathy for everyone in the world. And that's the key word. I love that you said that. And I, I feel like that is maybe what really kind of separates me when I, when I talk to, when I talk to like strangers or whatever, it's like, I, I treat them, I, I, I treat them with love and with light and respect and totally. kindness. And, and there's just this natural, there's this natural reservoir of empathy um, in me. I don't know where it came from that I feel the same way about people kind of that you do interest, like endlessly fascinated yeah, and, and really interested in when I meet people, even if it's for the first time or if they're my really good friends or family or anyone is just trying to enhance like the best version of who they are is, you know, dude, absolutely. I'm with you 100% on that. I was doing a campaign once for a company. I'm not going to say who it was, but I had to go talk to businesses all throughout this one, like Denver suburb. And there was one guy who owned a reptile shop. Mm -hmm. And so we're out back. Like I go, is the owner here? And this this kid who's clearly been bit by all these reptiles multiple (laughs) times goes, (laughs) he's like, yeah, he's out back doing crickets. I go, what the hell do you mean he's doing crickets? And sure enough, he's got these two, like, you know, those big, like Rubbermaid things Mm -hmm. that are like, you know, what are they? Two and a half feet deep, just filled with crickets. He's transferring them from one to the other. Mm -hmm. Huge spider tattoo on his head, you know, like. Piercings Marley. all over his face. Yeah, he's his, his name. I come to find out is Josiah X, and I'm like, okay, we're like brothers then. But here's the thing, dude. Like, I just treated him like I treated every other business owner, whether they're wearing like the the nerd uniform of you know sure. cornflower blue shirt and khakis. You know what you expect from a business owner. Mm-hmm. But I just talked to him like I talked to everyone else, and that dude had the best questions of anyone I talked to. I'm like, dude, you are civically engaged. Like, you get it, and I think people write you off. Yes. And so I always tell people, I'm like, look, if you need to go talk to the community, give me the freaks, give me the weirdos, give me the outcasts. Those are my peeps. That's awesome, man. So. Yeah, and, and people don't forget that. No. when Because the, they're not treated like that, uh, you know, normally. And so, and and it's just, uh, I don't know, I feel like it comes back to what, like the definition of charisma. And I'm not really sure what the, what the uh, you know, the Oxford definition of charisma is, but I mean, for me, it's, it's just like, like I said, it's, it's, it's allowing people, it's allowing people to be the best version of themselves right. possible, you know, when you're around. When, when people find out that, you know, you've been in like this sort of gothic rock band and you were in a glam band too at one mm-hmm. point, right? Oh, that, that was one of the most embarrassing <laughs> chapters in my life, dude. We'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about that. Okay. It's it a band called Sexual Harassment. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> That's quite the handle. Uh, yeah. You guys fashion for yourselves. Yeah. But, uh, like, do you get that at all? Do people kind of, like, want to dismiss you or write you off or go, you know, I, I, they, they don't know the depth of your knowledge or experience? Like, does that happen to you? Um, I, I don't know. I think that happens, I think that happens, um, as, honestly, as a drummer. Oh, right. uh, People, a lot of, a, <laughs> what? yeah, a lot of people think that, like, drummers, aren't real musicians because they're, they're not actual like, um, music notes per se. Okay. And so, and, and they're kind of just always in the background. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, and barely when you're on the stage, there's not a riser. There's, I mean, when you're finally, when you finally made it in a successful band, you get to, as a drummer, you get to play on like this three, four foot riser right. where your, your head's actually the same level as the rest of the band, if not higher. And so, but before you get to that level, you're, you're, you're sitting on the, you're playing pretty much on the ground and, and the rest of the band is kind of, um, 
covering you up. Yeah, totally. You know, they're, they're playing in front and the, the crowd can't kind of can't see you. And so I've got that more as a drummer. Huh. But then when I stepped out, um, out of, out of the drums and started writing songs and guitar and, and, and fronting a band, mm-hmm. uh, with original songs and singing, singing these songs at shows, I feel like it was, it was more like all of a sudden people are interested and no matter what, no matter what my background is, it's cool. Oh, interesting. You know? Yeah. And what's so funny too is like musicians, no drummers. Yeah. Because I interviewed a ska band, I think last year called Younger Than Neil. They're this local band. Mm. And they were telling me like, when you find a good drummer, you pray to God that they're going to choose you, choose your band because every drummer has like five different bands. It's true. You have to be a musical <laughs> whore as a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to hang on to them because like so few people are willing to do that. Yeah. I, I make the joke sometimes when I'm like going into someone's office to set up these mics and stuff. I'm like, I feel like a drummer. I got all this equipment to set up. Just exactly. bear with me. Um, you know, I'm toting stuff around. It's like, so, I mean, what you're describing is largely thankless work, but having mm-hmm. a good drummer will set a band apart. Like, that's good. You, you, you're obviously a music guy for even to say that. I mean, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a, a band is like a marriage. Hmm. And, um, with drummers, it, it ha- there has, they have to be musical hmm. to be memorable. Like they have, they have to have their, their own style and it, and it becomes, it does become one of the most important parts of the band. It's like, it's the foundation, it's the engine. Yeah. And it's the, it's the backbone. It's the backbone. It's the feel. Yeah. Really good musicians will, will, will treat, will treat drummers better. But even then, in, I've been in so many bands and I mean, I've honestly been, I've been shit on quite a bit <laughs> by even professional musicians that, that don't see, the need to hold on to a really good drummer. They still see drummer as just a guy who keeps time and plays beats over their music. Oh Jesus. And so they, I've been, I've been remedialized, you know, like in that nature quite a bit. And so it's, it's given me, it's made me really, really humble. Sure. Maybe, Uh, maybe slightly angry, but (laughs) yeah, maybe a little bit of resentment in there, but bitter, bitter, but humble. (laughs) I think a lot of us are in that same sort of, uh, space because uh, two things, two reactions to that. One, Michael Jordan is one of the best basketball players of all time, but he still uses slights from, you know, when he was coming up, like, you know, assigned to JV in his high school team. He'll still think about that when he's in the NBA finals. So like he uses that as motivation. I think a lot of us have a chip on our shoulder to, Mm -hmm. to get better because of something that happened in the past that we're still sort of wrestling with. Yeah, and that's the that's the beauty of 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 art is is being able to to be this alchemist and and to be able to to harness all the all the uh, you know the the pain that you went through. Yeah. And the and maybe even the suffering and and turn around and turn that into gold. Totally. Know? Is that you you mentioned alchemy? And did you have an album called Between Lead and Gold? Yeah, and it was it was based on it was you know it was based on alchemy like spiritual alchemy I guess. You yeah. Know? Did you read that book, The Alchemist? Absolutely. Yeah, pretty good book. Oh my god, such yeah. a good book. <laughs> um, a little bit on the nose, like I kind of saw some of it coming, but it didn't make it any less enjoyable. Yeah. You know what I mean? I thought that was uh, a really enjoyable read. Um, the other thing I was going to say is. Two of my favorite drummers are Brandon Barnes from Rise Against. And, awesome. And then Jordan Burns, who just left Strung Out. Me too, and that, that broke my heart. Me too. Their new album does rip. Yeah, but it's not but, the God, same. That guy. 
with a band like Strung Out, it's like it's like Rush losing Neil Peart. <laughs> you know? Totally, yeah. God, you can't. Yeah, like what is Rush without Neil Peart? Yeah. Um, you know, Getty Lee has kind of a weird voice that adds a lot to Rush. Right. But I mean, the drums are the heart of Rush. Yeah. So that's my dream as a drummer. Is like I want to find a a band. I've been looking for a band of you know a band of brothers, some magical friends that the the kind of music or or like, like Tool as well. Where like with Danny Carey, um, he's irreplaceable. I want yeah. I want to be I want to have the kind of music that allows my style to shine so much that I'm like irreplaceable. Totally. Yeah. It's uh. And what's funny is of of drummers out there, you think of Travis Barker too, mm-hmm. who has such unwieldy technique. That you can't not watch him. Like he becomes the show. That's the cool thing about uh, about the sixty nine eyes is is I got this tattoo here um, because the dr- this on my forearm, which is just these like kind of like um, old English Gothic looking letters on my forearm, because the drummer of the sixty nine eyes has such a cool style. And it says now or never. By the way, this is radio, not television. That's right. <laughs> I forget. And, uh, Sorry, keep going. With there's he 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 reaches his hand up. He has this style to where own he's created his own style on drums and just like travis barker has too mm-hmm. he's created his own visual style wow. and and it's it's like it's it just draws it's like magnetic yeah it's, it's captivating it's so captivating and magical when you see that and uh so that's what that's also what i think that one of my one of my the cooler parts of my style is 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 the is the aesthetic aspect mm-hmm. is really is i've i've really I've really focused on that too, because a lot of drummers just kind of hunch there over their over their snare, and their arms are close together, and then they get these weird drummer faces. That, <laughs> that, it's, it's like they have gas. <laughs> yeah, it's like they have gas, or you know, they're like almost about to, you know, and um, you know, it's it's not as exciting to look at. No, it's and it's almost like have you ever seen someone who's like learning how to dance, and you see them like dancing, and they're you can see them counting the steps in their head. Mm. With some drummers, you're watching them. You're like, you're. I can see you counting, even yeah. though your lips aren't moving. Yeah, like I can see you just like keeping count in your brain. You gotta let that go. And it didn't, and for in a lot of a lot of styles, you do have to count at first. Like, um, there's a lot of cool bands. I've ever heard of Minus the Bear. Oh yeah, it's a lot of people call it math rock. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're learning a lot of these songs, you're in these odd time signatures, and yeah. you, and you do have to count. But then. But then at some point you have to transcend the counting and totally just let yourself free. Totally. It's like my Spanish teacher said about learning Spanish. Like everyone hits the wall at some point. Mm -hmm. And the wall is when you are still trying to translate everything from English into Spanish. Mm. Eventually you just have to start thinking in Spanish. What you're describing to me is you almost have to just start thinking in drums. Yeah. Right? Is that fair? You, you have, not even thinking in drums. You have to, you have to stop thinking altogether. Oh, wow. Okay. And you have to literally kind of, um, transcend your, like, tran- stay, stay grounded, but transcend you, part of you has to transcend your body and then like, and then enter into the music mm-hmm. so you can be present. Wow. Cause if you're thinking, if you're thinking, you're not really present, but if you're feeling, you're present. Okay. Wow. Uh, that's very poetic. It's it's a theme with you, at least in terms of, you know, our, our limited amount of interactions. But mm. 
most of what you sort of seem to be about and what you talk about seems to be of this grander purpose and, and getting plugged into a larger consciousness because that's come up a number of times here when we've talked about nature, mm-hmm. we've talked about music and we've talked about empathy. Yeah. It, it, it all seems to be part of, of a larger tapestry that you're weaving in terms of the way you interact with the world. Absolutely. That's really, that's really observant of you to say that. And I really appreciate that. I, I, I absolutely feel the same way. And, um, I feel that I, I feel that like, there's consciousness in everything. And when people, some, when someone would say like, who is God to you or what is God? Well, the, the simplest, simplest answer that comes to mind for me is whatever gave the instructions of the periodic table, Mm. to interact with each other with the way they do with the protons and electrons and the neutrons literally to where when you have when you have sodium and you have chloride mm-hmm. they bond together in this part of the universe and probably the rest of the universe too and then they make salt which is necessary for survival right though like whatever whatever is given these particles these instructions mm-hmm. is comes from a consciousness it's not it's not just random to me so it's not like this atheistic sort of hard science you know no big bang like things exist and then as a result of that they combined at random no it's part of an overall larger consciousness the, the conscious yeah the consciousness of biology like you know what whatever made like single cell organisms then multiply and turn into many cell organisms right. you know through mitosis and then eventually become more and more complex life um, there's a consciousness behind that that comes from somewhere. Mm. And, and so there's, for me, that, that's just a prevalent part of everything that I do is knowing that there's this greater consciousness out there that has created all of this. And it's just so obvious to me in all of the systems that we have. When you say it's obvious, what do you mean it's obvious? Because I think what you're saying, I think a lot of people can get on board with that sort of in the abstract. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about, you know, existing in a day-to-day world, how is it obvious that these things are interrelated to each other in your mind? Um, that's a good question. It all, once again, it all comes back to what I just said, the periodic table. Like okay. There, it's, there's, they follow, every element follows such specific instructions to create, to create, you know, um, organic matter and inorganic matter like rocks and stuff like that. That's that they can, commu- they're communicating with each other ah. to, to where it's, it's, it's all interrelated that, um, they have to follow this. They, they have to follow the same rules, um, of interaction, um, in this part of the universe as any other part of the universe that, mm. that to me comes from a consciousness, wow. some kind of greater consciousness. And what do you think prevents people from, experiencing that or seeing that like what 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 are the inhibitors to that the uh that's a really good question um it's to me it's it's the daily grind it's it's the need to it's the need to um spend most of your time um at a job that you may or may not like right uh that we spend a lot of time on this show talking about that yeah that may or may not provide you with the type of um spiritual enrichment that your your spirit your soul like really needs um, to feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, so th- you have to pay, you have to pay your utility bills. You have to get gas, you have to get food, you have to keep a roof over your head. And most of our daily energy goes to that. Mm. And so we, we don't have time to, to really, to do the soul searching 
that we need yeah to 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 see how everything is to me is so obvious um we don't, most of us don't have the time to to take you know to be able to see that yeah I think that's interesting, and it reminds me of a conversation I had with my uncle a while ago. Mm -hmm. He asked me, like, why young people don't go to church, mm. right? And I told him, I'm like, there are still people who go to church, and that's fine. The reason I don't go to church is because when I used to go as a kid, I'd sit there, and I'd count the seconds till it was over. Yeah. And I wouldn't feel much. I didn't feel moved. I didn't feel like I was experiencing God or anything. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is, uh, and, and I give him a bunch of other reasons too. I'm like, the church used to be the center of society. You know, that was the only place where you could go meet people in a social setting. They mm -hmm. put together sports leagues. So there was a social component that has largely been diffused mm -hmm. over a number of, and you know, any number of different things. But more importantly than that, where you experience spirituality doesn't have to be confined to a building. Exactly. Um, and, and if you're going there and you get that out of that, I'm not going to begrudge you that at all. Mm -hmm. It's just not for me. I find when I'm connecting with people, I did a nonprofit thing called mile high 100. I felt it there. I felt connected to my fellow people, you know, and in whatever way that manifests, whether that's through work or service or just connection that like, I, I am fully on board with what you're saying. Yeah, like for, it's it's just as important to connect with people as it is to connect with yourself as it is to connect with nature. Yeah, and so for me, I guess my my temple, my church has always been nature because mm. that's where that's where the divine. I mean, without without alienating too many people by saying God, but to me, the divine source. Yeah, of all of this is is so clear to me that it is in nature, mm. and so. Um, that's another reason why I think um, people don't don't see that everything is is so connected by this higher consciousness. Everything, every little, every particle in this universe, is also because they've they're more and more increasingly disconnected from nature as the, as the urban sprawl continues, and as technology starts to take over more and more of our lives. Yeah, we find it we find it really hard to reconnect with nature. And so maybe we get to go camping every once a month or every right. few months and, you know, and, and we get to have that, but it needs to be a lot more than just camping once a month, you know, mm. to, to, to really get the gifts from the source. That's interesting. Does this notion of everything is interconnected? Does it ever overwhelm you? Like, is it ever just too much to take every day? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every day. Because, if you're not, if you're not in a place, if you're not in a place to do something about it, then it feels like it doesn't even matter. Yeah. There's, there's almost like a fatalistic hopelessness to it. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be, I mean, I mean, what about you? Like, do you, do you feel that like, um, it can help you or does it just, does it just end up overwhelming you and, and, and making you just say F it? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point. And you don't have to censor yourself on here. That's not, yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's interesting. Sometimes, and I think people don't take the leaps that they need to take to find like true fulfillment because there's, there's an overwhelming fear of failure. But one of the things that's beautiful about the universe, and sometimes, depending on how you look at this, this can be a good thing or a bad thing, but no one gives a shit, right? Mm -hmm. No one's keeping score on you. Which means you're free to fail as many times as you want. Exactly. As long as you're throwing your, your chips back on the table and trying again, like the universe by and large will try and help you do that. 
Yeah. And one of the things that I like, there's a comedian named Kyle Kinane. He said, I was not put on this war on this earth to be a goalie, right? I, it, as long as you're not hurting someone else, I'm going to either help you achieve your goal or just get out of the way. Yeah. The universe listens. It's that, it's that magical word, uh, manifestation. Yeah. And a cool story that just came to mind for me is, um, when I moved back to Colorado, uh, finally from, from LA and, and, and living in Hollywood and really pursuing, you know, the, the, the American dream of, of being a rock star, uh-huh. or, you know, with, or being an actor or whatever. And I moved back here and I, I was like starting from scratch. Like, you know, I hadn't, like, I hadn't kept too close in touch with all of, with, with our family that we had in high school. Mm-hmm. I didn't call it a family because you know, we were all interconnected friends in some yeah. way or another. And I, and dude, how many have circled back through this show has been remarkable too. That's great. I'm gonna have to go back to your archives. Yeah, I, we'll get off mic and I'll I'll tell you yeah, like some of the folks that we've had. That'll help me in a lot of ways. And so I, I was kind of lost when I moved back from L.A. And um, what ultimately led to you moving back too? Well, I moved back from L.A. because um, I was I was my I guess one of my biggest success two of my biggest successes in L.A. were do you remember the show uh, the TV show the Rad Girls by uh, any chance? Sounds familiar. Can't bring it was up any on details. it was on Fuse TV and they were like there were three cute girls that were like the female jackasses. Okay. It was when j- the jackass <laughs> culture was still huge. Yeah, totally. And they were the female jackasses and they had three seasons. And so um, I was in a band with uh, one of the actresses on the show. Okay. And um, I got to. I got to write music for that show. And so that was a, that was, I, I was, I was trying to, I was trying to break into the, it's like into the, the Hollywood gentlemen's club. Cause it's, <laughs> it's like, get beyond the velvet it's rope. It's so humiliating out there cause you're around so much money and success for people that have made it. Mm. And, and you're, you're just like, you know, groveling and taking whatever job you can get, you know, and so that, that was a huge break for me. And so, um, I got to write music for the third season of the show of Rad Girls. I also got to work with an artist who's getting really, really huge now. Her name is Dorothy. She's a mm. rock artist. Cool. And so um, I was hoping that those were going to lead to um, more and more gigs. But then when the the music or the uh, the TV show got canceled for the fourth season, and um, the the singer of, of the band who also was an actress on the show, um, her name was Audra. She got pregnant and moved back to Miami. Oh, okay. So then that kind of, um, vaporized. You kind of had the rug pulled out from under you. Then. Yeah. And then, and then I recorded, I recorded Dorothy's first album and then she was, <laughs> she had like a really bad experience with the, with like the producer who is like trying to probably use her and probably weird sexual ultimatums that we all know happens in Hollywood. This right. Like if you've shit. heard, yeah, if you've heard about what happened to Kesha, mm-hmm. you know, with oh, her yeah. label and her management. Yeah. That's unsurprising. That happened. And so then she decided she, and now she's back to music and she's doing really well and she's on tour and she's got, she's got number five albums on iTunes. And she said at the time, she said, fuck it, I'm going, I'm going to go into acting. And she's gorgeous and she just got, she just immediately got all these commercials and, and so, and so the two, the two, and then this is also after that, that incredibly embarrassing band sexual harassment <laughs> that I was in, which, which we could get into that a few terrible stories. Why was it so embarrassing? Oh my God. Well, you've heard of the band Steel Panther. Yeah. And you know how, you know how kind of, I don't want to say de- they're kind of degrading in a way to women. We weren't degrading. Right, but, but like it's satire. It's, that's what we, so we were trying to be the, we were trying to be the new Steel Panther. Okay. And at the time they were called, uh, metal school. 
<laughs> they were called Metal School before they were Steel Panther. And we got to open for them. And some of the wildest nights of my musical career were opening for Steel Panther. <laughs> As you can imagine, just because everyone is, everyone's partying like it's 1987 still. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, with, with the, with the multiple sets of tits all over the stage running around wow. and, and just the, just, there was no rules in that. And so, and, uh, so the, the band sexual harassment, we were, we weren't degrading to women. What we were really trying to be was just like, like the most entertaining, dangerous band in Hollywood. Okay. And, and uh, and that was working for a while. But then, uh, then I, I kind of all of a sudden had like a come to Jesus with myself. Like, I think my brother was like, he was like, he was just referencing like my hippie roots and, and, you know, he's like, this just really isn't you. And this goes against like everything that you are and like used to be. And like, he's like, it's just, it's, it's fucking crazy, man. And, and I didn't see it at the time because I was so obsessed with fame and all that stuff. I was just doing whatever I could to make it. I was, I, I was like put aligning myself with as many opportunities as possible. Right. And that was just, that was just one of the many. So all my opportunities just kind of, like you said, like got pulled out from under me or they kind of just naturally, yeah, faded away. Faded away like they should. And so right when that was happening, um, my brother, uh, Rhett started, was starting Native Roots, mm-hmm. the dispensary company that's now, that has, that is now one of the biggest companies in America. Yeah. And so he was kind of like, he was like, what are you doing? He's like, you can, he's like, you can barely afford your rent. You're living in a mansion in the hills. He's like, He's like, he's like, it's, you're not the rock star that you planned on being. He's like, why don't you come back to Colorado and help me start this company? Was that tough to hear? Oh my God. It, <laughs> it still is. I mean, cause you, it's still hard to not look at my past as, as failure, you know, mm. in a lot of ways, because I'm not where I want to be potentially, or, uh, you know, as far as my musical career, I, I would like to be way further along and shit in a band like Kings of Leon with some magical sure. friends that we just get to, you know, tour the country with. And the greatest thing about touring is every night you people are so excited to see you and they have, they have so much energy and fun built up and, and it, and then it gets projected to you through their eyes and yeah. through their heart when you're on stage and then you're giving back the same love and energy. And so there's just this communion every night that you get to experience you get to see the country you get to see all the states and you get to see the world and at the same time every night you're exchanging love and light with thousands of people so you know the fact that i i I have been on tour several times and and i've been pretty damn close but i've never been anywhere anywhere near where i want to be and it's hard to not consider my past and, and my endeavors as failures right but someone told me once that that they're only failures if if you stop trying, if you quit. Yeah. If you quit doing it. No, that's absolutely right. When I was interviewing Vinny, I told him how much I enjoyed Less Than Jake's shows because they always come out with so much energy and it like it's so fun and exciting to watch them. And he goes, dude, some of that is the crowd. Oh, right? Yeah. And I'd never thought of it uh, transactionally like it's that. It's 50-50. Right. And he's like, we'll go out and the crowd will just be flat and dead. Mm. And, and, you know, that affects our performance. He's like, thankfully, you know, in Denver, Lesson Jake's always done very well, so we love playing here. Mm. But I never really thought about my role in the crowd, you know, because I've never played on stage. Right, until then, yeah. yeah but, you know, that's why I'm, I'm always applauding opening bands. I always go see opening bands. Cool. Like, because I never know where the next great shit's coming from. Either. Exactly. So, like, go check it out, and you'll see some good shit, man. You'll see some bad shit, too. But, <laughs> but like, uh, that's... 
that's fine, man. Like, give them something of yourself because they're giving so much to you on stage. Yeah. And, and another, uh, the other thing about it is, is that's, it's really easy. It's really a great way to meet people because then it doesn't matter if you're, if you're a, a, a you know, a musician or if you're an actor or if you're, a, a podcast hero <laughs> or whatever. Um, when people get to know you through that, um, they want to be around you. Yeah. So after the show, everyone wants to come meet you, talk to you. I mean, maybe get an autograph. That's cool. If not, but they still want to come meet you and talk to you. And if even possible, if even better go out and party with you. Ah. And I, it's, it can be, it can be a slippery slope, you know, for the, yeah, I bet that can be dicey yeah. for the musicians and for, and for actors doing that. But still to be, I mean, and maybe it's a very, maybe it's a very shallow egotistical thing, but still to be showered in love by people that know every word of your songs, yeah, you know, and, 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 and are screaming your songs out, singing your songs along, they feel connected to you. And, and, and it's, it's, it's like, it, it makes their whole, it, it just makes their whole like, um, night and and month and year and dreams come true is if you are if you engage with them wow and instead of just being instead of just being some secretive standoffish guy you know and if you actually if you actually participate like in their life like they came and participated in yours yeah it's it's um it's it's a magical thing that that is still to this day draws me to you know trying to trying to get back on the road and trying to make music that that ends up. I guess the 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 most magical thing about music to me is it's it's it can be immortal. Yeah. So all these all these rock stars, you know, that that have passed away, that are still passing away, and like Freddie Mercury and David Bowie, their music is still being played like every single day on on satellite, on regular local radio, and that means when your music is played on satellite or when your music is played on radio, your voice is invisibly traveling all over the world and you, so you, in a way you're still here and so the, the it's like it's it, it it immortalizes you and it's it's a way to like leave behind um messages after you die it leaves behind something that you know that can that can stay yeah yeah that's music is a lot of people just do it for the fame and the money but there's actually so much there's so many like i've been talking about there's so much spiritual components yeah to art Absolutely. And, and to getting art out there and to being able to make a living off of your art, which I'm sure, you know. It's such a gift. Yeah. Dude, I, I was thinking about, I saw Penn and Teller in Las Vegas, uh, doing their show at the Rio. They've been doing that show forever yeah. now. And every, after every single show that they do, they will come out to the lobby and they will take as many pictures, sign as many autographs for anyone who wants it for as long as they're there. That's the way it should be. And, and it's like, dude, you guys have been doing this long enough. I can't believe you're not jaded or bitter by this, yeah. you know, but like they recognize that an audience is a gift. It is. So. And they, they, they don't take it for granted. No, absolutely and, not. And they know that by doing that, um, that, that keeps, that keeps the possibility of them indefinitely being oh, able yeah. to continue their mission. Yeah. Getting to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. But so you came back to Colorado. How was that transition out of LA back to Colorado for you? So yeah, th- yeah, that was that was awesome for me because in LA there's no seasons really. It's just <laughs> it's just nice and nicer. <laughs> it's like kind of summer and summer. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> so I, it was so great to, to get back into, into the, 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 the circadian rhythm of four seasons. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. And so I, like, I immediately just moved into, um, like a cabin in Evergreen that my brother was, was growing cannabis in at the time. <laughs> he was like, he was like a pirate grower before he was like a professional. Grower. Okay. You know, he was, he had like, he had like, you know, lots of, you know, illegal grow houses mm. in residential areas. Just sort of, uh, surreptitiously putting yeah. them in. Cause oh. that's his dream. And that's what he's really, really good at. And he was doing that. And so he, I got to just go run one of his residential greenhouses right when I came back from gotcha. California. I just moved in, started taking care of all these, all these plants and living in, and living in the forest. And then, and then after about, um, dude, I want to stop you real yeah. quick. You know what a lot of people don't realize is how fucking hard it is to grow cannabis. Yeah. Like it, it takes work. I mean, you're essentially farming. You're a farmer. Yeah. And, and I think people underestimate that. Like, Oh, I'll just grow some weed. It's like, no, you won't. No. Like, and, and then maybe if you get past a couple of steps, then you're going to get spider mites. Right. Or then you're going to get mold. Yeah. Or then you're going to get white flies. <laughs> And that ruins your whole crop. And then you're in debt to someone or yourself for 10 grand or whatever. <laughs> cause right. just cause of spider mites that you didn't do the research and you didn't take these like, like, you know, steps that prevent that. Yeah. It's science. I mean, like it is. it's farming and science and so much combined. And yeah. It's outrageous. It's pretty amazing for us that we get to be out here and <laughs> no kidding. Be at the, be at the, uh, the, the forefront of this, of the cannabis movement. So I stopped you. Yeah. But, uh, so the, the, a cool story that, 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 um, that, that I was wanting to bring up is like, so after I, I moved back and I was working with my brother for about a year. Then I got the itch to, to play music again and to be in a band again, of course. Um, and so I, I was kind of, I was in dabbling around in some like experimental, like inst instrumental kind of jazz stuff. And I don't know. I just, I wanted to be in, in like a, like an established band. Mm -hmm. And so it comes back to that word manifestation where the, where we we're talking about at the beginning of the show where the universe is listening. And everything is kind of connected. And, and I, I had a, I had an experience of with, with manifesting where I was supposed to go, I was supposed to, me and a good friend were supposed to go down to the sand dunes mm. and, and take mushrooms. Okay. And do, and do like a, a magical manifestation ceremony. Okay. And manifest the things into our lives that we wanted to bring into our lives. He ended up pulling out. And so this was, this was in the spring of, this was in the spring of 2011. And, um, I went down alone and I, I look back and I can't believe I did this to this day. I went down to the sand dunes and <laughs> I parked at the sand dunes and the sun was pretty much just setting. <laughs> I had, I had a backpack with water and some snacks mm -hmm. and, um, and the mushrooms and, and like a, you know, an iPod. It was still iPods then. Yeah. It was an iPod with the headphones and for protection, I brought this huge medieval sword. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which, which was given to me by a, like a friend who's really into magic and he was a singer, of one of my bands. And he's, he definitely is, he's definitely an, an example of how, if, if you ask what, if you really put the energy out into the universe and you ask the universe, and I'm sure you've experienced this uh -huh. in so many of your, in so many of your endeavors. If you ask, it, you, you shall receive, but if you don't ask, you, you know, you're not, you, it might not ever happen. Dude, one of my guiding life philosophies is give people or the universe in this case the opportunity to say yes. Yeah, you like, have to. If you don't ask the question, like, 
people want to say yes to you to a question they don't know they're going to be asked. Mm-hmm. And that's not always the case, but for, more frequently than not, give people the chance to say yes. Yeah. So I was given, I was given the universe a chance to say yes, and I'd never really done magic before. I was living in LA and I was, I was, I was seeing it being done, um, from, from my, the lead singer of one of my bands. And, um, I was seeing these things come into his life mm-hmm. that he was asking for that he, but he wasn't just saying, he wasn't just getting down on his hands and knees. He had, he actually had elaborate rituals. Wow. You know, with, with, um, Here's the other one, by the way. This is Finn. Oh, no wonder they do look like twins. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, he's like, hey, people are talking. I'm going to come downstairs. And uh, so it just, I, it was, it was working for him. And he would have, he would have herbs and he would have books and he would recite from ancient, ancient texts and he would have crystals and all these things. And I thought it was all just totally hocus pocus, you know? Yeah. I mean, from the outside looking in, it sounds like horse shit. Right? It really does. And, and, and I, and I just dismissed it as it was. But then as, as I would either watch the, some of these, some of these ceremonies or I'd participate in. And then like within the next day or the, the next week, what he was asking for came into his life. And I was like, wait a minute. Like what kinds of things was he asking for though? Like. It was, it was always just like, um, it was, it was really just based on, um, girls or, um, career opportunities. All right. They're just opportunities. Yeah, okay. Just, gotcha. just the kind of opportunities you just, that you kind of want. Like he, he did it with a house that we moved, that we, that we were looking for, we moved into. Um, and so I, I was like, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to do my first, I'm going to do my first. Yeah, yeah, give it a shot. Ceremony. Why not? Right. But I didn't want to go take mushrooms in the sand dunes by myself. And, but I did. I like, I was so, I was like, my love for being, for finding the right band of brothers, um, was, was so strong and it still is. I went down to the sand dunes and I, like I said, I had all the, I had the sword, I had the backpack, I had the mushrooms. There's a parking lot. There's a parking lot on the east side of, of the sand dunes near Alamosa. Yeah. And so I'm walking west, just right into the sun, like like straight out of yeah. Like, be, because like you, you, it's almost like you're walking along a beach for a long time before you get to any like hills. Yeah, because yeah. I've been there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just a flat, like sandy plain, and you feel like you're walking it forever because you're walking in sand. And Dude, so like are. <laughs> yeah, and it's you're like, far. I'm gonna go climb to the top one. You get to like the top of the first little hill. You're like, man, fuck this. I'm exhausted. You're like, there's no way. You're like, they look so much smaller. <laughs> But when you're in the parking lot, like, oh God, I'm going to be on the top of those sand dunes in like half an hour. And the sand is eroding underneath your feet and <laughs> it's stuff. So crazy. So I'm walking out there. The sun's going down. The sun's going down. And then, um, I finally get, I couldn't climb any of those big ones that you're talking about. Yeah, because I know. Of the me either. You're talking about, but I still got up into the hills. And then the sun had set. And I, I, I forgot to mention that I took the mushrooms right when I started walking. Sure. Yeah. And it was, you know, I mean, for people that are interested in now that mushrooms, like, just got decriminalized recently. Well, in Denver only. I did not take a quarter. I definitely took, I definitely took probably about an eighth, maybe okay. a little more than eighth, because I've heard that if you take a full quarter, um, from several friends, it's, it's almost too, like, you have to build up a tolerance. It's almost too much and things will start disappearing in front of you and you'll probably have like these meat aliens in an out of body DMT experience. That sounds terrifying. It, it is, unless you're prepared. So I took the right amount and, um, I went out there and I had my sword and I had my crystals and, um, of course I brought candles, but it was too windy to light any of them. But I drew a sacred circle in the sand and then I said, I said like, um, I gave thanks to, to like the elements of the earth, the air, 
the water and the fire and then the, the four directions. Mm-hmm. And then I asked for, I, I, I called upon benevolent energies to join me in my sacred circle mm. and please assist me in some of my deepest desires. And really it was just to, like I said, to find a band. And so what I asked for was to, was to find a band of magical brothers and that was established band that was, that was, that had fans and that had albums and that I could just, I could just step in and be the drummer for. And so I did this and at towards the end of the ceremony, believe it or not, a freaking sandstorm blew in. Okay. Like a violent sandstorm. And it was so crazy that I had to, I had to get in my sleeping bag, which I had in my backpack and I had to just, I had to like burrow down. Yeah. Like get into a womb essentially. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I put, I got into a womb. I was still tripping balls. <laughs> <laughs> I put on dark side of the moon in my headphones. Oh Jesus God. And just con- and just continued out into the into the cosmos within. That sounds intense. Oh my god, it was it was pretty it didn't even get scary until after till okay, so then then the sandstorm finally it was like I, I think I I was like transcending and I don't time just it could have been hours, it could have been minutes, but time time stopped. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was probably like Two or three in the morning, when I when when I was like, wait a minute, I'm a human being, <laughs> right? Like that has that that is hungry and thirsty, and that that needs to get back to reality. And so I I emerge out of I emerge like out of this like wormhole yeah. in the ground, and my sword is gone. <laughs> like I had put it, I swear, I had stuck it in the ground right next to me. This old cool medieval sword that my friend gave me is gone. How big? Sword was like this big. That's like four feet high. (laughs) (laughs) It was gone. And not only that, but I was completely lost. So there were... Yeah, it's the dead of night, man. It was the dead of night. And I had no idea which direction the parking lot was. Mm -hmm. And so that's when the, like, fear kicked in and the panic kicked in. And I started, I started, you know, having like an anxiety attack. And I was like, I could be in some serious trouble out here. Like Mm -hmm. I could be really lost. I, I don't have enough food and water. I mean, the sand dunes is really only like, what is it? Only 10 miles by. It's not, I mean, it's not that big and you couldn't have walked that far. Exactly. Well, and the sun's going to come up in what, like five hours anyway. Exactly. But I guess when you're tripping, it's a lot more drastic. I suppose, man, I've never actually done mushrooms. So I, I have no frame of reference for this. You will one day. I, I, the kind of man you are, you will one day. And but the cool, the the the, the bold the, statement. The, the 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 cool part about this story is, I had to. I literally had to use my intuition to find the direction of of which the parking lot was. And I, I for a while, I thought I was walking the wrong way, but I was like, because all my tracks were covered in the same. Oh yeah, my tracks sure. were gone. So I ended up walking the exact right direction. And I got back to my car and I wrote a, I wrote a huge blog about it, which, which I think is still on the internet. It's like you can search like, you, you can search, uh, Dax Hunter Tumblr and it's like, it's right there yeah. for everyone to see. And I wrote like a huge blog about it right when I got back and the sun did rose and I came home and the next day my brother was running his dispensary and, um, in came a jam band, mm. a successful jam band for somehow I got brought up. They needed their, they needed a drummer. Their drummer was leaving. And within, within like a week, I was, I was on tour. Jesus. Yeah. Well, so 
given the the intensity of that story and just how I hope you'll forgive me for this, but just how unbelievably goofy it all sounds, right? right? Yeah, I mean, drawing a circle and, yeah. you know, with the crystals and yeah. asking the universe and all that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds undeniably goofy, yeah. right? <laughs> but, or it just sounds far. I don't know about goofy. It just sounds far out, man. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll give you that. And, and I don't mean that to, in, I'm yeah. not, I'm not looking to place a value judgment on it. Sure. But at, it's, it's certainly out of most people's normal wheelhouse. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll put it that it way. It was out of mine too. Um, but, I mean, it sounds like it worked for you. It did. Have you done it since? Like, I mean, probably not to that. You no, know, I actually, I haven't, pra- no, I, I haven't, I haven't practiced magic since, um, since my, like around the time that my album came out in 2016. Okay. Um, and, and I never really did anything quite that elaborate as that. Okay. But, but I, but then I got to, I got to, you know, I got to go on tour and, and be in, a, in an awesome band. They're, they're called Frogs Gone Fishing. Hmm. And, um, I got to, and I ended up getting to play with members of the Grateful Dead nice. and living in New Orleans for three weeks and seeing all the states in America that I had been dying to see. Wow. And I, and I swear it has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't, but, um, it's, it's, it's certainly worth a try. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, why not? You, you saw it work. You decided I'm going to give it a shot. That's the thing, man. Like some people are unwilling to give. The, the craziest idea is shot, right? I think people are denying themselves when they do that. Like, that's why I do this show. That's why I talk to as many different people as I talk to. And it's like, I'm willing to talk to anyone that someone is willing to introduce me to, mm-hmm. right? Because that to me is the universe knocking on your door. Yeah. And it's like, look, I didn't come up with this idea. Someone's presenting it to me. Like, I owe it to the universe to walk through it. Yeah, you never know who, like, the next person you have on your podcast, what doors are going to open because exactly. of Exactly. Yeah. And, and like, where my mind is going to go. You know, we've been talking about religion, and I bring this up on the show a bunch, but, you know, I was raised in, you know, like, a Christian church, just, uh, like, a Methodist church. And I go, hey, man, I don't know much about Judaism. Can you hook me up with a rabbi? Hook cool. me up with a rabbi. And I said to him, I'm like, hey, are you friends with any, like, Muslim imams? Cool. And he goes, Yeah. So I went and talked to an imam. I sat in the mosque mm-hmm. and uh, interviewed him, and it, like it was great. And I learned so much from that. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's one thing. Yes, ask the universe for what you want. And two, some people I think don't recognize when the universe is banging on their door, mm-hmm. right? Just rapping on the door, being like, "Hey, here's something," and you go, "Oh, I don't know. That's not for me." Yeah, that's also about being present and, and, and seeing the signs and being able to right. interpret the signs of, of the universe knocking. Yeah, totally. And, I mean, my wife and I, we have kids. We love nothing more than a good plan. So it's hard to deviate from a plan. Oh, I bet. But sometimes you just have to blow up your schedule. Like, I, I like to say I like to drop a grenade in my day probably <laughs> once a month. It's healthy, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, you will you will find out what's important in a hurry. Yeah, like, and you will just slough off the rest, which is great. Have you ever had any experiences um, where where the universe has granted your any of your wishes? Oh yeah, and I think it, it manifests a little bit differently for me. But I always wanted to have my own business, mm-hmm. and I was planning on starting it in 2014, and then Kristen got pregnant. And I go, okay, well, I shouldn't leave now um, because we need to, like, we need the company to pay for me to have this baby. Like, let's not talk about healthcare in this country because it's all fucked up. But anyway, um, so I stuck around. In retrospect, that's when I started the podcast. 
And that's when I started interviewing entrepreneurs. And that's when I started rechaining out my network because I was unhappy in my job for so long that I was almost like just totally inside myself. Mm -hmm. This show forced me to reconnect with people like of all stripes from my life that I loved. And people told me they're like, you were training yourself to be an entrepreneur. So it was like the universe is like, hold on. Like, I know you want this, but not yet. Yeah. You're not ready yet. And at the time I was like really resentful and it was hard to go to work every day. Mm -hmm. I'd be driving to work just pissed off, mm -hmm. you know, and like, uh, like another fucking day of this shit. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was wasting my time, but it turns out there was a lot of value in that. Like I, I got some additional financial things. Like they laid me off ultimately, which was great because I got a package to leave <laughs> <laughs> and I got all this time to get my shit together and really connect with people. And the universe was like, okay, now you're ready. Now you're going to have your own business. You've been asking for it for, you've thought about this for years. Now you're ready. So you're, have you turned this podcast into a business for you? Sort of in a roundabout way. I'll tell you off mic, but, um, this podcast doesn't directly make money, mm -hmm. which I'm okay with. Like I, it doesn't need to, Right. it just, and here's the other thing, man. Like I don't want to corrupt it with a bunch of ads and like live That's reads and stuff do, yeah. because I love this product as it is mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily need it to do anything else but exist and allow me a format to connect with people that I adore and find interesting. So what is your dream? So, so what is your dream business then? Um, if, if money wasn't an issue and you know, and, and timing didn't matter, what, what would you, what would you love to be doing besides the, or, or even turning this podcast into something that is, that becomes as successful as like Joe Rogan, where you're getting hundreds of millions of views and all, and, and all your money's coming from, from advertisers that you don't even have to see or deal with <laughs> or are even part of your show or just YouTube money or whatnot. What is your, what is your dream business at this point? Well, that's, that's interesting to me because when you build an empire like that, you almost build yourself a fancy new prison because people are, you know, people have expectations now. Like, so Joe Rogan can walk away at any point, right? But there are a lot of consequences to that because he's got people on the payroll. He's got, you know, people selling the ads. He's got people producing the shows. Mm -hmm. He's got uh, fans that, that would be really upset if he just suddenly walked away. For sure. So there, there comes with success like that a great deal of obligation. Uh, and whether that's real or not, I mean, he could just be nihilistic and say, fuck it and leave forever. Mm -hmm. Right. And that he'd be fully within his rights to do that, but not without some pretty severe consequences. So to answer your question, it's interesting to me because I don't know that at this point I have any grand vision for what my ultimate sort of employment dream is, mm. because cool. in some ways I'm kind of living it. Yeah. Which makes like when I wake up and I think about that, it's absolutely mystifying to me and it's overwhelming because I get to do this show. I get to consult on clients doing work that I care about that matters. Mm -hmm. I set my own schedule um, and I get to be here for like I, I took my daughter to school today. Her school starts at 845. I don't get started working until like 915 or 930. That's awesome. And so like it's time with my family, time with my wife while doing interesting and creative pursuits 
that help make me money. Right. And, and that's to me, that is the, that is the definition of the American dream is it's not, it's not so much being extremely wealthy and it's not so much being famous. It's just honestly working for yourself yeah. and being able to create your own hours, having autonomy. Yeah. Like, and having, uh, some agency over your own situation. Mm -hmm. That to me is, is what matters. And I've said this a bunch on the show. I hated working for someone else because I felt like I had no agency to change my situation when some, when there was something I didn't like. That's exactly right. And so it started to manifest as existential dread, you know, like driving to work in those last few months of me working there. It was just dread, mm -hmm. you know, every single day. And now if I have anxiety, it propels me to action because I have agency to change it. I'm like, okay, what am I not doing mm -hmm. that is caught the triggering my anxiety? Mm -hmm. And if I can do those things, my anxiety tends to go down and I feel better. Yeah. And so when I think about that and you know, some people are like, what's your vision for your consulting business? And I go, I don't know, man, I just want to be making enough money and doing work that I find interesting and stimulating to sort of uh, enjoy my life. I don't want it to overtake things. I don't want to build an empire. I don't want to staff up. Like that's the same with me. Like I'm not anti-business, but I don't really. I don't want to run some huge, stressful, uh, you know, mega business. No, dude. Where, like, where you don't have time for anything, especially not family or yourself or. Or spiritual development or whatever. Totally. Um, or like even just leisure pursuit, right? There you go. I mean, which is becoming so like just rare. It's just, yeah, it's very scarce. <laughs> and yeah, that's tough, man. So, okay. So we've already gone over normal, which is fine. I, I kind of planned for this to go long just because yeah. I kind of know like you and I got <laughs> plenty of opinions. So much to talk about. So, I, I mean, we could do this for another couple hours, but, uh, <laughs> we got other shit to tend to. What, so what are you doing now? Like what, what are your pursuits? What are you doing in music? Yeah. Um, and when, what's next? Um, I, I work for, I, I produce and, uh, record for several studios around Denver. Um, so a lot of, a lot of new artists that are, uh, recording their, their album. Um, I have a lot of producers that work with me, um, that, that use me f as like their in-house drummer. Oh, nice. All so right. I also, so I, I write drum parts for people's music and then I also help produce it and arrange it and structure it and make them, make them find like their best sound. Nice. And that's that. Yeah, I wish that that could be like my, you know, I wish that could be my mostly full-time job. Um, but that's, then I also have to do, I have to teach uh, music lessons. I teach all levels of drums, private music lessons, as well as um, beginner acoustic guitar. So, I mean, I c I'm not good enough to really teach beyond intermediate. So it's just, pe yeah. it's mostly just like, it's mostly just like seniors that want to learn how to play their favorite song, yeah. like Simple Man or something. <laughs> or kids whose parents are trying to get them, hey, play drums or play guitar. Sure. And with that, it's kind of like babysitting. The younger they are, the more it's like babysitting. Yeah. But still, it's really amazing to work with uh, talented kids that are between 11 and 15 and 16 to help them see the magic in music and find the magic in, in themselves, you know. Well, dude, and they I'm sure they level up so fast. Yeah. Like, because kids can learn things ridiculously quick. Yeah, and their minds are ready for it. Yeah, and in the age with the age of the internet, like there's everything. Every lesson is available now on YouTube, as we all know. <laughs> right. So you just kind of you just kind of come in and 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 show them like the magic and the fun part of it, and then they kind of take it from there. Nice. So I'm doing a lot of that, and I'm I've been trying to get my second album out. 
um, that is the follow-up between Lead and Gold now f- um, for a while. Like, all the songs are done, and um, I've just been trying to record it um, in my cabin myself instead of, you know, instead of paying one of the studios so much hourly yeah. dollars. Um, I, so I've I've been... I've just, I haven't been too stoked on my own performances. And so my album, I'm really hoping to just finish it this winter. Like it was supposed to be finished last winter and to get it out, um, you know, late spring or early summer of next year. And so that's really just been, that's like, that's where I'm at focusing as far as focusing on music. Wow. Is that like a guitar album? Is that singer songwriter yeah, stuff? It's, it's singer song. It's, it's kind of like the last album. It's kind of, kind of country, kind of bluegrassy singer songwriter cool. stuff. Then I want to get to the point where I, I, I can, I can be that producer that I, that I know I am in my mind and I can, I can play all the instruments and, and I want to, I want to expand my sound into like, into rock and roll and record my own drums and play my own bass and play my own keyboards and sing and, and release like, like completed songs where I don't need anybody else's help from where I'm really, really proud of and, and start to, you know, like leave messages and get out my, my, some of my deepest messages through, through the music. Dude, that sounds like one of my favorite people on earth, Andrew WK. Yeah, he does it all. Doesn't he? Yeah, he played every instrument on. It was either I don't think it was I Get Wet, but I think it was The Wolf. Um, and he's like a classically trained pianist. I didn't know that. Yeah, but he and his message—it's all centered around partying. But it's uh, basically putting good out into the world. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like if you do that, if everyone sort of just did that and embraced that. We'd all be in a much better place. Yeah, I feel like everyone is somewhere deep down. Everyone is a creator. Totally. And and they the, they they when they're not creating, whether it's let's just say it's an algorithm for a computer game, or they're a painter, or they're a writer, or they're a graphic design artist, mm-hmm. or they're a, a podcast host, or they're um any anything. There's I mean they're a paint. There's they're they're a builder. They're an architect. They they design these amazing new like environmental systems that allow like for like you know free energy or whatever as long as we're as long as we tap into our core and find out what it is we came to create then we're so much closer to happiness yeah totally i feel like you're right i i haven't thought about it in exactly those terms but almost everyone is happy when they're creating something i even like and i haven't done this in a while i got a bunch of pictures just sitting around i even like just putting them in photo albums like and just arranging them and like Seeing like what event went with what and how I'm going to transition it, like that's just fun, man. Like, yeah. It, it, did you do something? Did you make something special for the photos to to arrange them? <laughs> Not really, no. <laughs> but it, like it was, it was just real simple, and uh, you know, it was just like a walk down memory lane. But you're almost like curating it um, in in a very simplistic way that's extremely satisfying too. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> but. Right now is the time on the show when we do plugs. Cool. Where, where can people find you? Where can they find your work? Sure. Anything you want to plug, do it. Um, my, uh, my, f- my first album is, uh, on iTunes, Apple Music and iTunes. You just search under Dax Hunter Jordan and you'll find my album Between Lead and Gold, which is, which is about, um, spiritual transformation kind of through alchemy. Um, just taking like the, 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 the pain and the suffering and the weight of life, which represents lead. And somehow turning that into, you know, artistic or spiritual gold. Um, so that was my first attempt, um, at singer songwriter kind of stuff. And that's also on Spotify. And then as far as, um, 
albums with me on drums, I have like almost a dozen albums on Spotify and iTunes, and there's no need to to plug that. But you could just go to my website, uh, DaxHunterJordan.com, and you can find it there. Awesome. Perfect. Well, I had high expectations for this conversation. I think you did too. Yeah. And you absolutely, you did not disappoint. This awesome. was, <laughs> this was enormous fun. Uh, and we should do it again. Yeah. I would love to. We, we, I mean, we, like I sent you a list of some stuff I wanted to talk about and we didn't even, we didn't even get to any of it. So it looks like there was oh, we just, got to a little bit of it. Lot, still, we didn't have to. It was so, so it moved so fast and it was so fun that there's, there's literally a wealth of, of, of more that we can always, you know, engage on. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, this was a great pleasure and uh, continued success to you, Dax. Thank you so much for having me on, John. I really appreciate it, man. And that'll do it for episode 229 of the John of All Trades podcast with Dax Hunter Jordan, musician, producer, music instructor, and just a wonderful, beautiful, talented soul. Thank you, Dax, for coming on the show and just talking with me. Let's do it again soon. You can go to johnofalltrades.us. Go to the episode description. You can find all of Dax's links there. That's johnofalltrades.us, J-O-N of alltrades.us. You can also find it in the show notes. Whether you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, or another podcatcher, check out the episode description. You'll find the links there. And as long as you're there, leave us a rating, leave us a review, hit that subscribe button. Brand new episodes will come directly to you. First job series is on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. I only promote the first job series on Facebook, but I'm across social media platforms all under the same handle, J-O-A-T-Pod. Let's pay some love to our sponsor, 4 Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, they can help you do it better. Whether you have a product, a service, a candidate, or a campaign that you're running, they will get your message right and then get it on the channels where people need to see it. So, digital marketing, online advertising, anything that you're doing online, like I said, they will help you do it better. The number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm back here next week with a brand new episode, so stay tuned for that. And until I hear you again... Say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.